Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Aletheia Bible Fellowship online. Um, we're going to do some worship, and then we're going to open in a word of prayer and um, have a sermon. If you are going to be in your cell groups today, make sure to be waiting for those uh, calls from your cell group leaders. Let's go ahead and pray to open worship, and then we'll pray to open the, <laughs> the sermon. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for just, again, our ability to come together this way. And we praise you for giving us um, that blessing even when we're apart. Uh, thank you for just a beautiful day in Oregon and um, time that we are allowed to set aside without any um, fear of pushback for you. Pray that today's service will be something that blesses your, your heart. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.
Christ on her knees and worship God who really sees. And by your might we say your children free. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Eliana Adonai. Each to each is still the same by the power of the name. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Ekom Kana Adonai. We will breathe and live. Through the years, you made it clear that the time of Christ was near. Though the people couldn't see what Messiah ought to be, though your word contained the plan, they just would not understand your most awesome work. Was done through the frailty of your son, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Eliana Adonai. Age to age, you're still the same by the power of your name, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Ekom kana adonai, we will praise and lift you high, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Eliana adonai. Age to age, you're still the same by the power of the name. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Ekom Kana Adonai. We will praise and lift you high, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Ekom Kana Adonai. We will praise and Some of you might be wondering um, what that song means. Um, it's actually really simple, and it's stated right in the in the chorus. El Shaddai is God the Most High, and then Erkom um, Kana Adonai is we will uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we will praise your name. Basically, we'll lift you up. Um, it's the last line of that. Erkum kana adonai, we will praise and lift you high, El Shaddai. That's what it means. So it's like a basic translation, and it's Jewish for those who don't know. Um, <clears throat> that's an old one. This is a new one. Oh, 
wretched man I am An addict of my sin You have loved me As the I am No shameful thing I've been from beginning to the end. You still loved me, God, deeper in. you once again you still choose me
Good morning. Thank you all for being here this morning. Um, yeah, we hope that our technology does right by us so that we can do right by you. So thank you for being here this morning. Um, let us pray before Pastor James comes up um, for his sermon. So um, pray with me now. Lord God, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Um, we just pray that your word reaches all of us and um, yeah, we can take from it what you would want us to take from it. Pray that your spirit would be with James as he delivers your message today. I pray for everyone out there who is, um, yeah, just feeling stuck. Um, pray that you would comfort them and you would encourage them and that they would find their hope in you, knowing that, you know, all things like we're going through are just temporary. Um, but yeah, allow this morning to be um, productive for us all and allow us to... Um, really take to heart what we what we can um, this morning and allow the worship that we just did um, be pleasing to you. So um, be with us now and be with Pastor James as he delivers your message. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Well, everybody, we find ourselves here again. Uh, just a reminder, what I've been going over is uh, basically overvalued blessings. So I spent uh, the first week talking about uh, the tendency that we have to take what it is that God has given us and to place too much emphasis on it so that it replaces Him in our lives. We basically make an idol out of it. Spent last week talking to you about overvaluing the blessing of self or pride. Uh, today, I stand before you with an important task, though. Uh, I'm here to share with you the dangers of making idols of any of your blessings. So I figured instead of uh, just merely going over, cause I could stand up here all day and I could go through so many different things and talk about placing those at a level of importance that is far greater than what they deserve. I could talk about... Uh, putting uh, so many different things in an illegitimate place in front of your relationship with the Lord. I could talk to you about, uh, you know, the, just the absurdity of a, of a woodsman felling a tree and taking that tree and whittling it down to a wooden idol and then starting to worship that idol as if it was a god and discuss that that's the exact same thing that we do with, with anything. It doesn't have to be something physical. Um, but today I want to focus more on something that all of us definitely face at one 
a certain time in our lives or another. And quite honestly, it's something that's at the very foundation of our being. It's at the very foundation of uh, our, our nature to, to seek this out. Uh, we pursue it. It's pursued at one time or another by just about everybody. We've all tried to bring it to others. We've all been disappointed with our efforts to bring it to others. Um, for some, the search to obtain this has been part of their entire lives. They've gone through everything that they would look to satisfy it. They've gone to fame and fortune, uh, huge, huge amounts of, of friends. Uh, you name it, they've tried it, and they've been unable to uh, fulfill this. So uh, what is it that has uh, drained them of their lives in their pursuit um, for all of their life, all of their, their upbringing and everything? Uh, this uh, is even, like I said, in the foundation of our country. I want to take you back to 1776. How many of you were there? No, none of us. Okay. So, uh, just some context, there was something that took place on Independence Hill in 1776. Uh, our forefathers, fathers of our nation, as they've been called, got together and they wrote down a little document. It's called the Declaration of Independence. You may have heard of it. And if not, what's wrong with schools these days? Um, in the Declaration of Independence, which has been a driving force for the nation, uh, it it brings forth a concept that's been around long before this document ever existed. What does it say in there? It says, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that brings us to the crux of our situation that we're going to discuss today. The problem is this pursuit of happiness. See, the pursuit of happiness is something that uh, many people start to seek out from the very beginning of life. Uh, when you're first born, uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a chaotic situation. I can't remember when I was first born but I've been there for many births, and it, it's kind of, I mean, there's a lot of crying involved often. Um, the, the child is taken from this, this uh, isolated environment and brought out in, into a, a brand new uh, environment where it's, it's breathing different. It, it has to find a new way to, to get its sustenance. Uh, there's uh, new inputs coming from different sensories. Uh, and all of these little problems that pop up to this newborn child, it, it seeks to try to fulfill. It seems to, to just want to, to be satisfied with them, to, to be happy with them. Um, the, the theme runs throughout everything, right? We have a movie called The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. It's a good movie based on a true story of a person that... Uh, started out as homeless and uh, was able to, uh, you know, gain employment, gain a job, uh, pursuing the, the object of their desire. Uh, people have commented on this from long ago. Uh, Bob Hope, a famous uh, comedian, once quipped that uh, you can find more meaning 
in the happiness of pursuit, um, identifying the fact that happiness is almost impossible to obtain. Uh, Bobby McFerrin tells us to don't worry, be happy. Uh, Farrell says, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Uh, clap along if you know what happiness is to you. How many people have been clapping along to that song? You know what happiness is to you? Cheryl Crow says, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. But she also follows that up with, if it makes you happy, why the hell are you so sad? See, it's a conundrum. For most people, their happiness depends entirely on good things happening to them. So as long as a good thing happens, that makes them happy. Madonna was asked in an interview by Oprah, are you a happy person? And she replied, I'm a tormented person. I have a lot of demons I'm wrestling with, but I want to be happy. I have moments of happiness, and I'm working towards knowing myself, and I'm assuming that will bring me happiness. It, it doesn't. In the pursuit of this intangible, this idea of happiness, it gets placed as a, the forefront of people's lives. I could go through numerous biographies of people that have gained fame, fortune, uh, everything. Uh, Chris Everett was a famous uh, tennis player when I was growing up. Uh, at one point in time, she was at the top of the top tier of all female tennis champions, making well over three million a year, and in like 1984, that was a lot, right? She had houses in France, in two different states, but she found herself not happy. I can go even farther back. I can talk about John Rockefeller and the fact that all of his wealth brought him nothing but a sour stomach, and he had to eat nothing but saltines because everything else caused issues with that. All of these People have tried to do whatever they can to pursue this dream of happiness. Well, the Declaration of Independence tells us that we're, you know, it's an inalienable right. We, we deserve this happiness. But it doesn't define what happiness is. Uh, and, of course, when we look even at the Bible, the Bible addresses the search for happiness uh, in one of my favorite books, the book of Ecclesiastes. By the way, if you're interested in Ecclesiastes, I would uh, just you know, let you know that if you go to abfpdx.org, you will find that every other Tuesday, we do have a Bible study that right now is going through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're currently in chapter 7. And because of our current situation, that is done entirely digitally and online. If you'd like to be included, you can simply contact us at abfpdx.org, and we can try to include you in that. Ecclesiastes starts out by saying what? Ecclesiastes 1, verses 2 through 8. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. 
What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises, the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. The author, Solomon, is talking specifically about the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of finding some type of meaning, some type of contentment under the sun. And that's how he starts out Ecclesiastes. And it continues throughout most of the book. And we'll touch on how it ends in a little bit. See, maybe happiness is elusive because we have the wrong idea about happiness, right? Happiness is when good things happen, right? Perhaps our definition's a little skewed. Maybe it's a little off. Happy comes from the French and Middle English, and it describes something accidental or happening by chance. So the word happy, as we use it in the English language, because, you know, it's so, uh, so diverse a language. It's so pinpoint accurate. We have so many words that mean so many different things. The word happy, the way that we've come to define it, is very circumstantial, and it's understood by many of us to be the adverse of the, ad, what did I say? The adverse, no, the lack of adverse, there we go, apologize, the lack of adverse circumstances, there we go. Took us a while, but we got there. So that, I, I guess I'm not happy, because it was wrong. Uh, so today, in order to help us to put things in a proper perspective, it is best to take a moment to give you a less circumstantial definition. Instead of reducing happiness to an instant gratification through happy meals, happy hours, happy pills, we're going to take opportunity to see what, oh, I don't know, probably someone of authority, what Jesus might have had to say with that. Uh, what I would like to do then is take you to the book of Matthew. Now, many of you should be familiar with where we're turning. We're turning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is uh, the bulk of what's been called the Sermon on the Mount, and it, it contains uh, the, the Beatitudes, right? Now, uh, many of you are probably reading along in the NLT, and that's great. Um, it does provide uh, clarity for you. I'm going to read this, though, in the New American Standard Version uh, because I think it helps to bring things a little bit more concisely in focus for you. Uh, so chapter 5, starting in verse 3, going through verse 12 of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, you may be saying to me, James, this doesn't say happy. It doesn't say happiness. It says blessed. Well, let me just break this down for you a little bit. Blessed is from the Greek word markarius. Now, markarius generally means happy or blissful. So let's read Jesus' words again, this time slowly and carefully. What does happiness look like? Happiness looks like, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For they shall be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. They will see God. They will be called sons of God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's our definition of happiness. So you might be saying, but let, let, how is that happiness? Especially when you look at what it looks like to properly pursue happiness. It doesn't look like our standard definition of things, right? It looks a little bit different. Uh, who is uh, our list of surprise players? Let's see, it's oh, the poor in spirit. Those who mourn, the meek, the hungry and thirsty, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers, the persecuted. I don't know about you, but I was never taught that persecution would make me happy. Nowhere in any of my schooling was I told that, you know, if you're picked on, if you're beat up, if you're put down, it'll make you happy. But yet these, these are the type of people that, that are pursuing happiness and will receive happiness according to what Jesus says. So, I don't know, it sounds like Jesus may have a different definition of happiness than what the world would have us believe. It is common for us to blame the world's suffering and unhappiness on things like, I don't know, a lack of education, lack of opportunity, a lack of resources. Um, if only I knew more or had more, if I had better opportunities, if there were more uh, resources, if someone had just reached out, if someone had just treated me better, on and on and on. Our most basic problem is this. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you feel your lack of resources, your lack of education, uh, your lack of opportunities, the big problem that skews our view of happiness, that changes the way that we think about things, that becomes the focus of our worldly pursuits, 
sin. See, sin has caused this idea, this notion that the best thing that we can do is to look out for ourselves. That we can do so many things if we just try hard enough. The, the only way for me to achieve my dreams is to continue to follow them at all costs. Do whatever I can to make myself happy. But this is a skewed definition. It's the wrong understanding. Because of that wrong understanding, it becomes something that is the forefront of many people's mind. And they do whatever they can to achieve it. And we have example after example of example of people who supposedly should have achieved happiness. But in reality, what do we find? Some of the people that have everything that we would normally call happiness, they end up being very, very tormented, very, very depressed. They end up the exact opposite of happy. In fact, some of the people that even make us happy because they tell a joke, because they entertain us, they find that they are lacking that happiness themselves. Now, it's not wrong to want to be happy. It's not a, a, a bad thing to, to want to feel that elation that uh, comes along with being happy. The problem is when we start to look for it in the wrong place. Happiness is more than an elated feeling brought on by a chemical process in your brain. Happiness is more than feeling good. Happiness and its pursuit are more than just the bane of people's existence, an unreachable and incorrect perspective that causes them to lose focus in their lives. Happiness is more than a purely intangible object that we can do nothing more than pursue and find, what, pleasure in the pursuit of it or find constant disappointment, which is usually what the case is. This is called a diminishing return, people. Diminishing returns are often found in, oh, I don't know, say, addiction. It provides a pretty good picture of this pattern, right? At first, happiness uh, that it causes outweigh any of the misery, right? I, I can do this. It makes me feel good. It makes me happy. But eventually, the periods of misery increase, and the periods of happiness begin to fade. So heroin addicts take the first drug to be happy, and in moments of clarity, they despise heroin for what it's doing to them. They despise themselves for relying on it, but the memories of the pleasure overpower them, and they have to take another hit. Hoping this time it'll bring lasting happiness, they have to increase the amount that they take, always seeking that return and the hope for permanency. But it never works out that way. Because we've been told this lie. Happiness is all about feeling good. So we tell people to go after fun. We tell people that they can justify their actions by, as long as it makes you happy, Good for you. 
in order to, uh, to make people feel good and happy, we say things, you know what, be the best you that you can be. Um, find yourself, and you'll be happy. Emptiness is what it really comes down to. Encouragement into nothing but nothing. As Solomon said, it is all meaningless. In order to stop putting this idol of happiness in the place that God belongs, we must recognize its proper definition. And we will discover that happiness is more lasting than any momentary moment of pleasure. We must stop pursuing happiness and move forward with the pursuit of God. Only through confession and repentance, only through the blood, only through Christ Jesus, will we truly be able to discover happiness. Not a momentary feeling, not something that just, well, it felt good, so it must be where happiness lies. Ecclesiastes say that by pursuing everything under the sun, we will, pro we will only find vanity upon vanity upon vanity. In case you're wondering, that means you will find, oh, nothing upon nothing upon nothing. Air. Meaninglessness. You ever notice that no one talks about where Ecclesiastes ends up? They always want to start out with, uh, oh, maybe they, they fall into, well, there's a time for this and a time for that. Or they talk about the fact that it starts out about, you know, everything is meaningless. And they talk about it as a depressing book, right? It talks about, you know, things that are just, well, it seems abhorrent. I mean, it even says in there in some place that it, it would be better for a man to be born dead than to experience his life of pursuit. That, Really? See, no one ever goes all the way to the end of the book. No one studies it all the way through and discovers that they found something that has meaning. It says in Ecclesiastes 12, which is the last chapter, Verses 13 and 14, the very two last verses, which are a good conclusion for the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, But, my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful. I started in 12.12. Pardon me. Be careful, for the writing of books is endless, and much study wears you out. Can confirm. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. See, so the conclusion of Ecclesiastes isn't that everything is meaningless. It's that in order to find the meaning, it is found in pursuing God. It is by following our duty to worship our Creator. When all is said and done, the driving force of our lives cannot be an ethereal concept of happiness. 
this idea that we've been sold that if we just do what's fun, everything will be happy. It gets worse and worse with every generation that comes along because, you know, the youth are taught that in order to be happy, they need to be entertained and they need to have fun. And then that's the end of it. Well, the world comes alongside and gives them a little bit of a shock that there's more to life than just being entertained and having fun. See, without proper perspective, it can lead to an adult that can't function in society, that is living brief moments of happiness, mad at the world because they have to go through so much just to have that brief taste. We have developed relationships with the hope that if we make another person happy, it will make us happy. And we have worked hard in those relationships to do whatever we can to make the other person happy in an attempt, and then we feel bad for ourselves, and we're not happy, and we're sad because we fall short of making the other person feel happy. And then we justify those relationships by saying, oh, they're not a bad person. I'm just not good enough. So we have attempted in and of ourselves to find happiness by what we do, what we say, what we can achieve. We have attempted to make other people happy by what we do, what we say, what we achieve for their benefit. Uh, we've taught that, well, entertainment and fun will lead you to happiness. We've taught if you just follow your dreams, they will all come true. How very fairy tale of us. Good on us. We have created generation upon generation that believes this to be true, and they tout it as if it's some magical elixir. It's going to fix everything. Just follow your dreams. Never in a million years did I dream I would be answering phones telling people that they cannot claim their child on their taxes. It, that wasn't in my uh, scope, you know? But lo and behold, I find myself doing this, and not only do I find myself doing it, but I'm happy. Now, could it be that I'm happy not because I answer phones? Trust me, I do not like talking on the phone. If you call me, the conversation may be a little stinted. I won't talk that much. I'll listen, but I won't talk that much. Not really fond of that. I'm more of a person-to-person -person type of guy, you know? But I think you'll find even person to person, I don't talk that much, but that's because I'm listening and I'm watching, because I'm invested in relationship and I want to know what's going on with you for real, not just the words that are coming out of your mouth. And unfortunately, over the phone, that's all you hear, the words that are coming out of somebody's mouth. This may seem like I've kind of derailed things a little bit, but it all leads to the same thing. We are all looking for happiness, and we have a society that, oh, I know, lives for the weekend, Right? Oh, man, it's almost Friday. It's Friday Eve. That's Thursday for everybody else, okay? Um, productivity is only good as long as it's getting us the money so that we can go have fun on the weekend. So we can go out and party, so we can have the barbecue, so we can drink the beer. So we can have fun and be happy on the weekend. Or, you know, at least through the night and then not happy in the morning when we drank too much and we have the hangover. 
not too happy on Sunday because, well, that's Monday Eve and we have to go back and do it all over again. Or we tell ourselves that I can't wait until I retire so I can go golfing all the time. I can take trips whenever I want to. I can do whatever's fun. You know, I'm happiest when I'm fishing or I'm happiest when I'm golfing. And this problem is not just the world's problem, it's the church's problem as well, because we have spent years in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, youth groups, youth retreats, and we teach them that it is important to put Jesus Christ first in their lives. And then we never teach them how to do that. And then they turn 17, they turn 18, they go off to college, they're planning for their lives, and they have to deal with all of these questions all of a sudden that we've never taught them to face with the correct perspective and they say well let's see what do I need to do in my life in order to be happy what do I I mean how much money is that going to take what am I going to do with my life in order to make the kind of money that I need to in order to be happy what kind of a job am I going to pursue in order to have that job what kind of plans should I have made I got to be qualified for this job right trust me there's a lot of people not qualified for their jobs in other words what can I do with my life to make the most money so that I can have the most fun? So that I can be what? Happy. Now, earning money itself uh, is not a bad thing. In fact, it's great if you're doing it with the proper perspective. If you're doing it, of course, in response to a calling from God. But if you're doing it merely in order to have a bigger house, car, vacation home, you're going to find yourself mm, lacking happiness. You're going to find yourself lacking the fulfillment that you think that you would get from those things because we fail to treat we fail to teach the truth we fail to build a proper foundation we fail to set priorities in the right direction and since we don't teach this truth well they drift away right what does it say in proverbs well in proverbs 22 6 it says direct your children onto the right path and when they are older they will not leave it it doesn't say tell them these concepts and then eventually when they're older they'll understand them and pursue it themselves. They'll figure it out. It says to direct them onto the right path. That means you are literally marking out how you will teach them how to walk in the steps they need to. Directing them not just this concept of, hey, you really should put Jesus first. Hey, Jesus died for your sins. He conquered death. Hallelujah, amen, you're a Christian. They've got to know the whys and the hows. They've got to understand the reality of what happiness really is, the pursuit of God. They need to go through the Beatitudes and understand that blessed in the original Greek is more like happy. And that you will be happy if you do these things, even if the list doesn't seem that way. The problem is, is we've built up a generation after generation after generation of people that look like the younger son in the story of the prodigal son. Now, we're not going to turn to it, but if you're interested, Luke 15, 11 through 32. Luke 15, 11 through 32 is about the prodigal son. And the younger son at first could not care, couldn't care less, right? He cared the least amount that he could about pleasing his father. 
The younger son wanted to be happy, and he demands from him to give what he needs to be happy. So his father does give it to him, and immediately the younger son squanders it. And how does he squander it? Well, funnily enough, wine, women, song, partying. The things that he thinks will make him happy in life. Not only does it not make him happy, it very nearly kills him. But then something weird happens. The younger son repents. He says to himself, if I go back to my father, even the servants eat better than I do. So he crawls back to his father and he says, Father, please forgive me. Treat me as your servant. And the father doesn't treat him as a servant. The father doesn't reject him. father doesn't say, Ha! Told you so. Hope you learned your lesson. The father embraces him and restores him back to where he was. He got everything else that he was looking for. And he gained the proper perspective of it. See, true happiness is not just a mere chemical reaction in the brain that brings a euphoric feeling. True happiness is found, well, all over the place in the Bible. But I just want to narrow it down to one verse. Matthew 6, 33. Matthew 6, 33 always wants to, you know, I always want to burst out in song. But let's just read what it says. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Hmm. A little bit of a different perspective. If you put things in that order, in other words, putting nothing between you and your Father in heaven, if you don't let the blessings that he's given you in front of him as an idol, if you don't let objects of worship that he created become overvalued, if you don't follow after this inalienable right that we're told that we have, the pursuit of happiness, cloud your direction and direct your path, Well, you will have everything you need. Seek first the kingdom of God. So I want to remind you, take an inventory of what your blessings are. Put things into the proper perspective and take into account the fact that he has done these things for you. In other words... To put it simply, count your blessings. But when you count your blessings, you should give praise and honor to God since He has bestowed them upon you. Just don't ever make the mistake of letting them replace Him. So I do have a few questions for discussion. For those of us uh, that are part of ABF, we'll be going to our cell groups now. 
Uh, for those of you that are listening online, think th through these questions and seek out uh, answers. How is it that you have defined happiness? Be real, be honest, think about the truth of it. How have you defined happiness? Second question, what change do you need to make to be happier? Put things into the proper perspective and discuss what change you need to make to be happier. And then the third question, of course, where is God in your plans to pursue happiness? Where is God in your plans to pursue happiness? Take some time, discuss these things, and I hope that today you have a little bit better perspective of this inalienable right to the pursuit of happiness and where you may find true happiness in the proper perspective. Amen.